Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's Wednesday, October the 6th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. This week saw the government launch its National Development Plan, which sets out capital investment and strategic infrastructure envisaged for the next 10 years or so. But reading coverage of the plan since its launch, I've been very struck by how sceptical much of the reaction has been with the proposals described variously as everything from a wish list to a con job. And many questions remaining unanswered about the timings, the priorities and pretty much everything else. To discuss this, we are joined by Brian Caulfield, who's a Associate Professor in the Department of Civil, Structural and Environmental Engineering at Trinity College Dublin. Brian, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. And also by our political editor, Pat Leahy. Good morning, Hugh. Am I right in suggesting that the reaction to this has been even more sceptical, borderline cynical, than has been the case in the past? And if so, why might that be? Yeah, I, I do feel that the, um, specifically around the transport projects, because of, I suppose, what was announced the previous week about the delays in Metro Link happening um, out now to 2034, I think people kind of saw the plan as it came out and they kind of, I suppose, they're sceptical on, on, on a lot of the big public transport projects that they'll ever see the light of day. And then I suppose specifically when, you know, the, the partners and government went into the launch and there was a, very much a cloud hanging over any of the transport projects as to whether the roads will be delivered uh, or indeed even any of the public transport ones will be delivered within the, the timeframes that, they're, that they've announced. I suppose um, there are, seem to be two big projects, which in a way a lot of this debate has coalesced around, Brian, that one is the Metro, the Dublin uh, Metrolink, which, which you mentioned. The other one is the M20 or N20, depending on which side of that debate you're on, between uh, between Limerick and Cork. And in a way, they're kind of useful proxies, aren't they, for the ongoing debate about uh, building roads for the use of private motorists on the one hand and developing um, a uh, a public transport infrastructure, which the country so significantly lacks. Yeah, I think I think it is a, a very good uh, analogy of the debates that perhaps happened prior to the the publication of the of this plan, not only from you know um, a, a, an unsustainable transport to a sustainable transport um, a comparison, but also I suppose the, the the Dublin versus the rest of Ireland debate that I think that's happening um, around transport. Um, and did either of them win in, in terms of the national development plan? Do we have any real, you know, um, there's there's commitments to funding in there, but has has any of them really won? And is it better, you know, perhaps to to focus in on one and deliver one of them um, more quickly, um, and then get to the other project um, later on? But say the, I would obviously favour that the, uh, the the metro will be de- delivered first. But around the N twenty or M twenty. Um, that there are safety updates that need to happen on that road. And if they could happen while we're greening our transport fleet um, and then build the metro, I think that's probably the, the best thing to, to happen. Pat, if I can go to you, the, the, the plan as announced this week seems to be, I think you described it yourself as a wish list. You didn't describe it as a con job. Other, other ones did. 
But it's been made clear by Eamon Ryan, who's not only the leader of the Green Party, but is the most relevant minister in, in, in many ways as Minister for Transport, that these are all subject to processes and they may or may not happen. And he seemed to be particularly emphatic about that may or may not happen bit when it came to the road project. Yeah, and, you know, I suppose many of our listeners might have heard him on Morning Ireland yesterday morning talking uh, about this, where he pointedly did not give any guarantees about two of the more high-profile road projects in at the Galway Ring Road and the motorway between Cork and Limerick. And he specifically avoided saying that, yes, they will go ahead. And, uh, you know, there's a long answer and a short answer uh, as to why that might be the case. But they both coalesce around the same sort of fact, and that is that the Greens are in government. They prefer public transport to roads projects. Eamon Ryan is the Minister for Transport, and so he will have a huge say in which road projects go ahead. Now, there will be road projects in this. There will be billions spent every year on roads in Ireland over the next 20 years. But the focus of the transport plans in this plan it seems to me, has a pretty important, there's a pretty important caveat on it, and that is that they will be, first of all, there's the two-to-one split in overall funding between public transport and roads. But that secondly, individual projects, when they come to be evaluated before construction goes ahead on them, they must be assessed as to their climate impact. And as long as... Eamon Ryan is Minister for Transport and as long as the Green Party is in government, then those individual projects are going to be uh, slower to get approval, I think, than, uh, than, other, than other projects might be. Just to go back to your point, because I think it's an important one about the sort of scepticism with which many of these plans are, are greeted, and we've certainly seen that this week. And I think there's a couple of obvious reasons behind that. I mean, the first is that we seem to have these launches every couple of years, you know, uh, that, you know, this is a 20 year plan, but uh, it's an update of a plan that was launched with great fanfare in Sligo in 2018. Now, that's only three years ago. So now I'm not saying it's a bad thing that the plans are constantly reviewed and tweaked and certainly you know, when you look at the intention to spend money or the sums that are involved, you know, in 2018, the 20-year plan was only costing uh, a, a mere 116 billion euros. This one is 165 billion euros for the same um, for for the same amount. And I, I think it's important over the same period of time. It's, it's important, I think, to realise that it, like the 165 billion is not the sum total of all the projects that have been decided upon. Individual projects will be decided upon as we go along through that period of time. The 165 billion is the sum, the the proportion of, uh, of GDP that the government thinks is appropriate to spend on capital projects over that period of time. And that's why you've seen such an inflation in the sun since uh, since 2018. I think the other two reasons, though, for the scepticism with which this plan has been greeted is, uh, first of all, many of these projects are announced repeatedly you know i mean how many times have we uh, has there been you know has the 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 ring road in in galway been 
promised and uh, announced. Politicians in Ireland are completely addicted to uh, to announcing projects like this, and each individual project gets announced about ten times before it's uh, before it's actually built. And many of them don't see the light of day. I'm uh, old enough, you maybe you are as well, to remember uh, when you know the the remember the launch of Transport Twenty One back in 2005. In fact, I seem to recall promising on the Vincent Brown radio show the night of the Transport 21 launch that if a, uh, an underground railway station was built in Stevens Green by the target date, which I think was 2010 or something, that I would run naked down Grafton Street the day of the launch. And um, thankfully, uh, thankfully, the pedestrians of Dublin's city centre have been spared that particular site. Well, thank God for that indeed. But also, when these projects do see the light of day, it is often at a vastly inflated cost. And, you know, you, you could pick any one of dozens of examples for uh, for that. Um, the, the National Children's Hospital, I suppose, being the most spectacular in recent, uh, in recent years. And we do seem to be spectacularly bad at estimating costs and sticking to them. Uh, roads are slightly different. People in government tell you that, you know, the, that, that we now build roads uh, everywhere more or less on budget. It costs 10 million euros to build a kilometre of motorway. That seems to me to be a very high number, but that's what it costs uh, to, to, to build a motorway. But with other projects, um, there, is, uh, there is repeated and often enormous overruns. Yes, because Brian, you've made a very interesting point about this in relation to to previous plans, where I think I think I'm paraphrasing you here, but you said that you know we were promised public transport, but we ended up getting motorways. So, in other words, the the road objectives seem to be seem to be achieved when others weren't. It strikes me that you know if somebody were to return to this country now, having not been here for 25 years, one of the big differences they would notice is the fact that there's a motorway network now between the major cities and a certain amount of other road infrastructure. But they would also notice that public transport looks pretty much the same as it did 25 years ago for the most part. And in fact, like I'm blessed, I, I live in a part of the country which is quite well served by public transport infrastructure. But the main reason for that is because of a railway line that was built in Victorian times um, and that really hasn't been expanded greatly apart from being electrified since. So is there something particularly problematic about this state's failure to build out the kind of public transport infrastructure that I see when I go to other European countries, many of which in theory at least are poorer than Ireland? Yeah, I suppose we, we've had a very checkered past with public transport um, in, in in Dublin and in Cork and other parts of the country. You know, in Dublin and Cork, we took up our tram lines um, a long time ago, and we're, we're we're a lot of the plans that we're putting in now is to really just to reinstate them. Um, I think projects like Metro projects, and, and even when you went back to Transport Twenty One and you looked at like projects like Metro West, and there was lots of very colourful lines drawn on maps. And and I agree with Pat. I I, I think that they, they're Politicians seem to be addicted to doing that, but then the delivery delivery fails. Um, there was one of the, the, the key things that happened, I suppose, with the Metro project was was that we built Lewis Cross City and it had always had been as part of Transport 21 that had been scheduled to go in last once we'd done all the digging and then we would put in um, uh, Lewis Cross City. So that meant the plan had to be redesigned. Um, when you're putting in a piece of infrastructure like a Metro in a city like Dublin, it is really difficult to do. Um, you, there's... There's lots of testing that needs to be done and any kind of deviation away from the the original plan or a plan that's further down the line ends up in going back to 
square one in a, in a lot of cases. With the, for example, say with Metro North, there was a plan to take down Fusilier's Arch and Stevens Green brick by brick um, and then reinstate it afterwards. And huge amounts of research went into that. So I think that's what's kind of happened. You know, politicians dithered. They say, oh, look, I've got a better way of doing this. Maybe it's better if we go out through UCD or whatever it is. But when something like that happens, it brings the NTA, TII and all of the agencies back to square one and they have to start to look at the plan again. And that's one of the things that causes the delay. I think there's been a lack of ambition um, around public transport. Um, and like when we look at the metro and then we're going to start to talk about, you know, Lewis lines to, to Lucan, Blanchardstown, all these other parts of Dublin and Finglas is, is the other one that's currently on the agenda. If Metro is so far behind the rest of those projects, when are the other light rail projects going to happen? And then if you look at Cork, they're planning a light rail system down in Cork as well. How far away is that um, 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 from from completion? So there's 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 huge amounts of uncertainty around it. But, you know, there's definitely political will. We saw the first train station opened in eight years um, in Dublin there recently, and half the cabinet showed up um, to be pictured next to this train station to, to open. So... There seems to be the political will there, but, you know, it's the I'll be more impressed once they sign off the contract to build some of this stuff. And uh, as opposed to a plan that looks very similar to a lot of its previous iterations. Pat, one of the suspicions voiced about this plan as laid out laid out this week is it is, you know, a plan for a decade, for 10 years. This government will only be here for another three and a half years at the most. So we'll have to see what successive governments and what their composition is and what they they might make of the whole thing. But at the at the core of it for this government is this commitment to spend two euro on public transport, walking and cycling for every one euro it spends on roads that private cars can drive on. I do wonder how that's going to be enforced and people are already asking questions about is that applied across the full 10 years or does something like delaying Metro and delaying certain other projects mean that politicians can do uh, what they love to do, which is emulate St. Augustine and say, make me pure Lord, but not just yet? Um, Well, of course, you know, any government can only govern within its own term of office. And if there is a, a new and different government in after the next election, say in, you know, halfway through 2025, it goes its full, uh, its, its full term, then that new government may take different decisions. It may not, for example, have the Green Party uh, in it. And, uh, and you may have different priorities. But, I mean, I suppose... My my view would be that, you know, the Greens are getting more or less what they want from this government. They have displayed a sort of a, a ruthless sense of prioritisation um, so far in this government. But this this sort of stuff is the reason why they are here. Now, they put up with lots of stuff that they don't particularly like or is uncomfortable for many of their members in order to get the climate action stuff done and transport plans and infrastructure plans are key, they believe, to that climate action agenda. And so nothing is more important for them than that stuff. And I think they will will keep doing it in government. But of course... They can't make decisions if they uh, if they're out of government. But can they achieve, and and how might they achieve? Say this two to one ratio over the next three and a half years, for example, if 
as seems quite possible, there is more shovel-ready road-building projects, bypasses, and various other things of that sort, which all have their own their own merits, but that they're ready to go. Whereas you can just sink into the the kind of quicksand which Brian describes when it comes to these major public transport projects in urban areas. Yes, but remember, you're not, you know, they're not starting from scratch on at least some of the public tran- uh, tra- transport stuff. So like things like the, you know, obviously it might take 10 years to build, to plan and build a metro, but it doesn't take 10 years to replace your fleet of uh, of buses, for example. It doesn't take 10 years to build cycle paths and uh, and, and that type of thing. There are, of course, constraints because the sums of money are so vast and you're right that there are many roads projects. You know, we, we're, you know, we're well used to building roads and it's a quicker turnabout and there are, there are many projects that have been many years in the planning and they are certainly nearer to being shovel-ready than many of the public transport stuff. So there are constraints inherent, uh, inherent in that. But, um, but I don't think it's the case that they won't have public transport projects to spend money on over the next, uh, the next three years. Do you think, Pat, that there is potential trouble ahead for the government over the next couple of years? Harry McGee in the Irish Times today is reporting about noises coming from um, backbenchers, particularly in uh, in the West, in rural Ireland, uh, in both um, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, who are making noises of discontent um, about the way that Eamon Ryan has characterised his approach to, to road projects. Is that just them making noise or are there potential problems there? The kind of rural-urban divide which some people see within within these sorts of policies. I think there is potentially very serious trouble down the road for um, for the government. I was writing a little bit um, about this uh, in the paper last uh, last Saturday. I, I've, I've always thought that the, the, the big political cleavage within this government is not really between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael though we spend much of our time focusing on those uh, on difficulties between the two main parties. And there has been lots and lots of low-level friction between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. But the big political divide in the government is between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael on one side and the Greens on the other side. And that's because it's a divide based on uh, on fundamental policy differences between uh, those two sides of the government. And the different the difficulties for the government that I foresee are when the climate action agenda, which this government has signed up to, has included in the programme for government, has passed in the form of a climate, uh, a climate action bill, now ACT, and the difficulties for the government will, I think, come when the measures required to achieve the 7% annual reduction in greenhouse gas emissions to keep us on target for a reduction of 50% by 2030. That is now in law and, uh, and on course for, a, uh, for net neutrality by 2050 in line, with, um, in line with the European position on it. I think when the measures required to do that in transport, in the way we heat our homes and most politically sensitive of all, perhaps, in agriculture, when those measures become real. And that is something that will start to become apparent in the next six months. That's where I foresee political difficulties for the coalition. 
Brian, in terms of how that plays then with the sort of infrastructural issues which we're talking about here, there is the backdrop of the commitments which made, made by government, which Pat references there. And one does see pushback. I see it in Michael McDougall's column in the Irish Times today, and you see it from some of those backbenchers who Harry McGee is quoting, essentially saying, we need the roads, we will continue to need the roads. That's the way that rural Ireland operates. Um, we just need to move to electric vehicles as uh, as quickly as possible. But just moving from single-use petrol or diesel vehicles to single-use electric vehicles isn't actually going to achieve those objectives, is it? I don't think it is. Uh, From an emissions point of view, yes. I suppose if if everyone moved over to electric vehicles, we'd see a big win. And and previous iterations of the Climate Action Plan, that's how they they saw transport, that it would just move to electric vehicles and and, and that's what would be done. If we do that, we're missing a, a, an amazing opportunity to change how we move and where we live, etc. In the, in this country, um, when you take emissions out of it, we still have congestion, we still have people dying on the roads, we still have um, air quality issues. So all of those things um, will still be there. I do think in rural Ireland, and I, I would agree that we do need, we will always need cars, and um, we will always need cars in, in all, all parts of the country. Um, how we own them and how they use and what fuels they use will change, um, but in rural Ireland, we will need them. Um, I think the roads projects, once we, we economically, even if we can afford them, we can't afford them environmentally um, yet. We will miss our targets. Um, the slippage that we've seen on, you know, in the metro, I, I wonder would the same kind of attitude be there if the same slippage happens with the 7% goal um, or the, the 51% goal um, um, to 2030, which is going to be increasingly difficult um, when you look at the, the, the level of um, urgency that you see currently in, in policy that's out there. Um, but the roads projects, yes, well, they're, they're very important. And from a safety perspective, any roads that need upgrades because of safety, they need to be expedited. But any new roads projects that result in new traffic, new people moving around that weren't moving around previously in these single use cars, um, they need to be, you know, they need to be taken out of the system and, and look at public transport. Um, the big in Dublin and, and Dublin has its population density is seven times that of Cork City. Um, and that's why big public transport projects work in Dublin. That's why big and that's why they've got a big um, price ticket with them as well. Um, so those projects need to be um, prioritised initially to get these emissions reductions. Otherwise, we will fail. We, w- we won't get to the targets that the minister has signed up for and the government has signed up for. And then and even if we don't bring these projects on, it makes the 2050 targets even more difficult to, to achieve because um, a lot of the, the research that I've seen is is based around, around this public transport being there in this second phase of getting to climate neutrality. And that's the big issue that's going to be there. And one other point is that I, I think these projects, like the ministers need to think of this transport projects or other projects around energy and all the rest in that they're, they're, they're custodians of these policies. Eamon Ryan will be in his 70s by the time the metro is, is, is delivered now at this stage. But he needs to be, and other politicians like him, they, they need to be seen as custodians of these policies and that we're going in this, this, this net um, zero carbon trajectory for this country. And we're all moving in the same, in the, in the same line. Rural Ireland will have very different solutions to, to, to urban parts of Ireland. And that's just the way it's going to be. And isn't the reality, Pat, that the nature of electoral politics at four or five year election cycles uh, doesn't lend itself necessarily to everybody thinking of themselves as custodians of the future? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the difficulties with democratic systems, isn't it? Um, 
And, you know, I suppose there is a part of our political culture that contributes particularly to, uh, to, to these sort of problems. I mean, why are politicians so addicted to announcing projects and opening new roads because they know how popular it is with voters? Um, I, I remember discussing this years ago with an, an old Fianna Fáil cabinet war horse and I was you know, raising these sort of questions and he spread his arms wide and he said, look, it isn't this what leaders of communities, you know, in Ireland have done down through the ages. You know, they have gone out and tried to, you know, bring resources and prosperity to their communities. So, you know, for him and I think for many politicians was the... You know, one of the things that drove this was the realization that if he went and came back from Dublin with resource, with you know, money for building projects, building roads in the in in his locality, he would be rewarded by voters for doing so. So, you know, to some degree, this is this is back at us, I suppose. So, if that's not going to happen anymore, or at least not going to happen at the same rate as it as it happened previously. Presumably there has to be some upside, just from a political point of view, to offer to those communities who traditionally wanted the bigger road. That was what they got. That's what their local politician delivered. What can their local politician deliver now? This is the great challenge for the Greens. And Eamon Ryan talks constantly about this, about how the changes required for decarbonisation can be you know, beneficial to people, that it shouldn't or it doesn't necessarily have to be seen as a cost to them. You know, if you get your house retrofitted, you have a warmer house. If we have better public transport, you don't have to sit in your car for uh, for hours every week. If we have better broadband, you can work from, uh, you can work comfortably from home. And, you know, when it comes to agriculture, you know, if farmers you know, farm in a more eco-friendly way if they concentrate on producing better quality foodstuffs, they'll get paid better for that, um, uh, for their produce. But it seems to me that requires a sort of a change of mindset throughout the whole community that is really only beginning at best. So finally, Brian, if you, if you add that uh, slightly bleak assessment from Pat there to the slightly bleak description which you gave of the way in which these uh, major projects get get bogged down in planning and different political decision-making and various kinds of things. And then you add to that the fact that there are serious questions about the capacity of the Irish construction industry to deliver this uh, these quite ambitious projects along with addressing other things like the, like the housing crisis. Um, maybe everybody's right to be sceptical or even cynical. Yeah, I, I, I suppose so. And, and and people like me that have been looking at these plans for a long time and plans that will come out in the future around, you know, the, the, the around climate action, etc. It, it's, it's right to be cynical. And I think, you know, I think Credit Thunberg had a great, you know, line when she was talking about, you know, blah, 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 when they were talking about these kind of political plans. Um, but I do think we need to be optimistic around it. I do think that there is 
definitely um, the climate literacy that's across all government departments now that I and any politicians that I've spoken to has gone up exponentially in the past couple of years. And and a lot of people that I would have thought in the past wouldn't really get it. They really get it um, around climate. So the the pub, so the politicians, the civil servants, and the public all want this to happen. Um, so there's definitely a demand out there for big projects like Metro or let's say even, you know, the cycling infrastructure that went in over COVID. So there, there's definitely the appetite for it to happen. Now, I suppose it's just the the mechanics of how do we make it happen quicker? And one of the things that I know that the minister did mention in the NDP launch was around planning and making these things happen faster. But that that that's the vital piece here. If Metro has slipped by so much in such a short period of time and the previous minister that was told that it would be delivered by 2027, that that wasn't, I assume, not an arbitrary number that he picked out of thin air, that somebody gave him that information and that it could happen by this time. Um, that needs to be better. That needs to be tighter. We need to have a better planning process around it. This project, by and large, was given planning permission a decade ago. And um, and why can't it happen um, faster? And we're really good at roads, uh, as Pat mentioned, but we need to build the same level in terms of a network of public transport at the moment. We need to get better at that. We'll leave it there on that cautionary, but still slightly positive note. Uh, Brian, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Stick with us. Myself and Pat will be back after this. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So, Pat, there's, there's no shortage of other mildly interesting things happening at the moment. The most significant one, I think, in the grand sweep of history is the corporation tax. What's happening with that this week? Yeah, crunch time. It looks like, Q, there's a special cabinet meeting tomorrow to discuss this. And the widespread expectation around government is that the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, will bring a proposal to sign up to the OECD process, which will stipulate a minimum rate of 15%. So there's been an awful lot of toing and froing in recent weeks uh, uh, about this. And the crucial thing for the government was to get the OECD text changed from at least 50, from quote, at least 15%, uh, unquote, to just 
5%. And their worry was that if they signed up to something, and remember Ireland is one of a tiny number of countries worldwide that hasn't so far signed up uh, to this, but their worry was that if they signed up to at least 15%, then they would find uh, that, you know, there was the possibility of the minimum tax rate increasing in the future. And the view of the government has always been that it needed, uh, that it needed to have certainty on what the uh, the uh, the rate would be in the future it seems although all of this process or 99% of it thus far anyway has been taking place behind closed doors um but from the signals that we have got as best as we can interpret them it seems that the text of the OECD agreement has been changed the at least is gone there's still toing and froing on the exact words um uh, i gather but that is expected to reach a conclusion today. And crucially, Pascal Donoghue has also been meeting with members of the European Commission to get from them a, a, a assurances, or however binding they are remains to be seen, that the EU proposal to put this into European law when it comes sticks to the 15%. Now, it's a very complicated area. There's all sorts of carve-outs and there's the possibility of Ireland having this fifteen new 15% rate for just for big multinational companies with turnover of over 700, 000, uh, 700 million. And, uh, and smaller indigenous companies might stay on the 12.5% rate. That's something that it would have to get EU approval from and those discussions are ongoing. But all of that is a rather long-winded way of saying that According to everybody that um, both I and people like Cliff Taylor and that have spoken to about this in recent days, all of them expect this to happen tomorrow. So briefly, is is that a big win for the government? Listening to various economic commentators, they generally seem to agree that this rise of 2.5% should have come to pass is not going to completely, you know, destroy uh, the foreign direct investment policy that the state has pursued for so many years. I think what you'll certainly see if and when the decision is made is that, you know, representative organisations, business organisations and so on will will come out in support uh, of uh, of the move. I would also expect that Pascal Donoghue will probably, after he briefs the cabinet, will probably brief uh, opposition leaders and finance spokespeople uh, on it uh, as, uh, as well. I think what we will have to judge when we see the agreement tomorrow, or we see the proposal, we see the text of the government decision and whatever supporting you know, documents that they may make available uh, for that, when we interrogate it a little bit with the European Commission, what we will have to judge is whether the government have achieved substantive changes to what was previously on offer as between the OECD and, uh, and, and the European Commission. Have the changes and the concessions that have been achieved, are they real and st- substantive? Can they take them to the bank? Or are they political cover for Pascal Donoghue to make this move? And that we simply won't know until we have, uh, until we have more information. Um, I, I, I think... I think privately people have been saying to me for some time that it's kind of not possible for Ireland to stay outside this overwhelming international 
consensus um, in, in, in the long term. Uh, we've seen that Pascal Donoghue was perfectly prepared to stay outside it for the short term. But the view of most people that I've spoken to is that it's, it's, it's simply not possible to stand against an over, the overwhelming international consensus, as I say, uh, in, in the long term. So the question is then, the move, if and when it comes, will that be based on substantive concessions? And a final question to you. One week to go to the budget. Any collywobbles in the corridors of power? Any of the kind of last minute scrambling? Any sign of that kind of stuff going on? Partly because I think... This week has been dominated by first the NDP launch and examination of its contents and now the question of tax. It's been quite a low-key week before the budget um, by the standards of, of recent years. Normally what you would expect it is, is a, you would have this week dominated by you know kite-flying leaks, stories of last-minute rouse behind the uh, behind closed doors. There'd be very little uh, of this, I'm disappointed to say, so far. We might see a little bit of it over the weekend, uh, I, I suspect. I think one of the things to watch out for will be the budget day package. So um, we've talked here before, and I've written quite a lot in recent weeks um, about the, uh, you know, the government's slow adjustment from pandemic era spending to something uh, to something more normal. The size of the budget day package has been uh, delineated by the two budget ministers, Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue, as being 4.7 billion euros. They will have bids in from ministers that would take it far beyond that. So the question, I think, will be, does the budget day package expand beyond the 4.7 billion? One of the questions we'll have to look at is, does the budget day package expand beyond 4.7 billion euros, thus constituting further giving way by the budget ministers, finance minister, public expenditure minister, or do they stick to their ground and hold it at 4.7? And I think that will tell us something about the internal workings of this government. And we'll know the answer to those questions in the, the very the very near future, really. Uh, we'll be mobilising all our forces. It's always a big uh, big week in the Irish Times. Budget days are the biggest traffic days of the year. And so you can follow everything that happens in the budget on irishtimes.com. But we will leave it there for now. Thanks to Pat. Thanks also to Brian Caulfield for joining us earlier. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Ryan, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. We're going to be back with you very soon indeed. But do remember that you can mail us with your thoughts or your questions at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. See you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.